How many of you think, how many of you love God? Let's start with that. How many of you love God? Amen. Amen. How many of you think we should do everything we can to tell other people about the love of God and that we love God? Thank you, Lewis. Appreciate that. How many of you think we should be willing to do whatever it takes to tell people about God? Getting up. A little less of a clap on that one. Some people see, you, you see I'm setting you up for something. You can, you're already sniffing it out. So here we go. Stand up. Stand up. Everyone stand up. Especially everyone that just told me you think we should do everything we can to reach people for Jesus. Uh, let me get a look at this room. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everybody as much as possible to move from this side of the room to this side of the room. Everybody is my, I know you're getting out of, you just told me we should do everything to reach people for Jesus. I have a point here. Trust me. I know I'm interrupting your day. You chose your seat. You got here early so no one would take it. So these, everyone over here, you need to move in, make room for people. None of the in-between seats, no coat saving seats, no, none of that. Move in as much as, we'll have to probably take this middle section too. No, you sound booth people can stay where you're at. You can stay where you're at. Fill it in. Move over. Yeah. Ann Thomas is looking at me like, what are you doing? Just move everyone over here. Everyone over. All right. I am going somewhere with this. There's a point. Get in. Come on. Plenty of seats in the back. Plenty of good seats in the back. You never hear a pastor say that. Plenty of good seats in the back. As much as possible, those of you keep moving over there. I should have had music in the background while I was doing this. All right. We got, we got some more room over there. Mr. King, are there more seats over there? More seats. All right. There's room at the cross for you. Keep moving. All right. Do we have to, do we have to overflow into this section here? All right. I should have said those of you who are physically able. Carol, you're doing so great following my... Sit right there, Carol. You're, you're close enough. I should have... Carol, you're making it, sister. We're going to do it. Are there seats over there? No? All right, find a seat. If you've got to filter way back, find a seat. I don't want you to have to stand the whole service. Find a seat. Then if we had to overflow into this section, it's like musical chairs. So, all right, we got that full. We got this full. Let's overflow into this middle section here. All right, everybody get a seat. Everyone on the back wall, come on in. Find a seat here. We'll make it. I have a point. All right, at least you're hoping I have a point. Right now you're going, I knew I should have gone to Belmont. I knew it. Yes. See, I told you we should have gone to Belmont. All right, if you are there, everyone can, well, first of all, why don't you say hello to those you're worshiping beside, because you don't meet them, because they're usually on the other side. Yes. (laughs) All right. After that, you can have a seat right where you're at. Have a seat right where you're at. All right. There we go. I promise you, when we start two campuses on September 13th, I am not going to do this to you every Sunday. 
I have a point this Sunday that I want to talk about. I'm going to move this a little more over here. Now we'll be more in the middle here. I have a point this morning to talk about. This is a little bit different Sunday in the life of our church. If I, the, in fact, as far as I can remember, this is the first time ever we're doing two services at the same time, even though we're at one location now. And uh, next month, this Sunday, and the second Sunday of the month, we'll be doing two services, two locations, one church, two locations. So in the spirit of being different, I want to change things up this morning. But here's the point that I wanted to make. I want everyone to look over at that side of the sanctuary. What do you see? What are we going to do about all these empty chairs? Is my question. A good question I heard someone say. Good question. What are we going to do about all these empty chairs. While I was sitting there a minute ago, I happened to open up on my phone the camera feed from the Family Life Center. They've got a nice full service over there. It looks like they've got about 50 people over there that would normally be sitting right here. All these empty chairs. What are we going to do about the empty chairs? How are we going to fill those chairs? Some of you may be saying, what did we just do? Sending all these people out to another campus. Last week, we had a nice full service. Everything felt pretty full. It wasn't overly crowded, but it felt nice and full last week. We had a nice full service, and now we have all these empty seats. And my question is, what are we going to do with all the empty seats? Some of you are thinking, good, now I can have a little buffer chair on each side. I have a place for my coat and my coffee. And some of you may be thinking, Pastor Rick, what are you going to do? about all these empty chairs. Pastor Rick, what are you going to do to fill this place up when all these people leave? Pastor Rick, what are you going to do about it? To tell you the truth, someone did recently ask me that question. I wasn't even thinking about it. Someone asked me that question recently, said, what are you going to do about it? And it's amazing how when you have a peace about something, all of a sudden like a panic sets in. And I started thinking, what am I going to do about this? I wasn't worried about it before, but now you've given me something to worry about. And it's amazing how that happens. And then I stopped to think about it for a second, about why we're doing this, and about why I wasn't nervous about it before the person asked the question. And I thought about this. This is what came to me. What if we're asking the wrong question? What if we're asking the wrong question? If our question is how do we fill up this building, and how do we fill every empty chair in this building, perhaps we might be asking the completely wrong question. Here's what I mean. If we filled up every single seat in this room, we've got about 350 seats that we can put in this room or so. If we filled up all 350 chairs in this room and all 125 or so parking spaces in the parking lot, we would probably feel pretty good about ourselves, right? I mean, you come in and you have a nice full service and you look around and the seats are full and smiling faces. Maybe it takes you a little longer to get a parking spot. But it feels good to be in a nice full service. We've got a good feeling about it. It feels like there's energy. It feels like things are going well. It feels like it's like an affirmation for your decision to be here uh, because other people are here and the room's nice and full. But the question is, is, is the right question how do we fill up this building? 
There's an old architectural saying that goes like this, and it certainly applies to churches. It says, we make our buildings, and then our buildings make us. We make our buildings, and then our buildings make us. And here's what, here's what I mean by this. Let me illustrate it this way. If we were in a room right now that sat a 1,000, picture that, right? You've been in rooms. If we were in a room that sat a 1,000 people, And we had that same 350 people that I just mentioned filling the seats. We'd probably look around and say, wow, look at all those empty seats. We would say, oh, two-thirds of the room is empty. There's empty seats everywhere. And yet we've got the same 350 people in the room. But the size of the room, all of a sudden, we start thinking, well, maybe we're not doing something. Maybe things aren't going so well. We make our buildings and our buildings make us. We put 350 seats in this room because we can get 350 seats in this room. And when they're full, we feel good. And when they're not full, we, feel, we might feel like something's wrong. But we wonder about it. But maybe how do we fill the room is not the right question. The truth is that 350 or so people in this building would hardly make a dent in the 25,000 people that live in Burlington. of the population, 350 people out of 25,000. Or Burlington, they say, we're told, has a daytime population. All the people that work in Burlington, when you take into a place, all the large employers in towns, Leahy Hospital and and Oracle and and, uh, Keurig and some of the major employers in town, you take into account that, the mall, they say that the daytime population of Burlington is over 100,000. So our 350 people is now 0.35% of the 100,000 daytime population of, of Burlington. Or if you take into account Burlington and the contiguous towns, many of us come from the contiguous towns, whether it's Billerica, Wilmington, Woburn, Lexington, Bedford, Hanscom Air Force Base, some of, some of the contiguous towns, you take into account that it's a population of about 146,000, which makes our 350 point. of that population. Maybe how do we fill the building isn't the right question. If we filled this building to the brim for two services, it would be about 700 people, which would be exactly half of 1% of the people simply living in Burlington and the towns that touch it. As great as that would be, as great as it would make us feel to have two services filled to the brim, I think how do we fill the building might be the wrong question. So what is the right question? The right question, I believe, is not how do we fill the building. The right question is how do we accomplish the mission? How do we accomplish the mission that God has given to us as a church? What is our mission? Well, we've boiled it down as simply as we could to loving Christ and transforming lives. But if I was going to flesh that out a little bit, the mission of all Christian churches, I would say, is to worship God, make his name great, to disciple those who have decided to follow God, grow them in their faith, to reach those who have yet to decide to follow God. That's evangelism. And and to continue to... uh, Worship, which one did I miss? Discipleship, evangelism, compassion. I knew I missed a fourth one there. Show the compassionate love of God to the world around him. 
just as Jesus has demonstrated us to do. So we worship, we disciple, we evangelize, and we compassionately uh, show God's love to the world around us. So those are the four things. And the better question is how can we accomplish our mission to see God glorified in a greater way, his name lifted up, to see people grow in their faith, to see people come to know him, and to show his love to the world around us. There's a big difference between these two questions. One asks how we fill a building, the other has a much broader view and asks, how do we grow God's kingdom? There's a big difference between those two questions. One is focused on making us feel good. The other is focused on making God more famous. One rejoices for the kingdom's sake when another church is growing. The other gets jealous and envious about the growth of another church. There's a big difference between how do we fill the building and how do we accomplish the mission? Or how do we fill the building and how do we grow God's kingdom. The reason we are launching a second campus next month is because our goal is not about filling a single building. Our mission and our goal is to grow the kingdom. So why did we arrive at this place of one church and two locations? Why this method? Why this, this, this way of doing it? And let me just answer that quickly. And by the way, the same message is being preached in the family life center. I'm not sure if we've been clear on that, but on Sundays, I'll be preaching, uh, you know, the same message will be preached here in Burlington as in Belmont. Um, and so Pastor Brian is preaching the same message over there this morning. We've worked together on it and obviously there's different illustrations and things like that. But, uh, but the question, but they, this morning, what I want to talk about is why we've decided one church in two locations. And first, and very simply and practically, the answer to the question is two are better than one. I know that's groundbreaking stuff for you. <laughs> two are better than one. If you wonder about whether two is better than one, just ask the nearest child to you. And they will tell you two is better than one. Give them a piece of candy and ask them if two pieces of candy is better than one piece of candy. Two is always better than one. Two pieces of candy is better than one. Two flavors of ice cream is better than one. Two toppings are better than one. You ever take a kid to Orange Leaf? I went there before I knew how the place really operated. Oh, yeah, just put whatever you want on it. Then I learned I was paying by the pound. And I'm like, you know what? Let's put less gummy bears, more sprinkles. Um, but they want all the toppings, right? Because two toppings, three toppings is better than one. I mean, nuts and sprinkles is better than just nuts. Nuts, sprinkles, whipped cream, a cherry, and gummy bears. That's better, right? Two is better than one. It's fun to do this with kids. You can learn this. You can uh, show this principle real clearly with little kids. Give a little kid a $5 bill, right? And then you offer him two ones. And you say, do you want these two? And can I have that one? Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> take my one. I'll take your two. Two is better than one. We see it all over us. Businesses know this reality. That's why there's multiple locations that they try and make convenient to people, right? Burlington has three Starbucks, at least that many Dunkin' Donuts, three Subways. You can drive down the same road in Bill Ricca and never leave the town and pass three market baskets, because two are better than one, or many locations are better. A few weeks ago, we were driving down to North Carolina. We're on this 18-hour drive, and you know how it gets. You, you start looking for places to eat, and every single one of those blue signs that I passed, McDonald's, 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 and I wasn't looking for a McDonald's, but they are everywhere. 
And why does McDonald's do that? I thought, why don't they just put one McDonald's? Because McDonald's knows that each location is going to catch different people at different places in their journey. McDonald's doesn't expect people to organize their journey around them. They organize their business around people's journey. They don't go out and find the most obscure, cheapest land and expect people to come to them. They find where people are traveling on their journey and they put their business in the place that's going to be convenient for them to go to. For the sake of their mission, they make it convenient for people to get a burger and fries. It's not just true for business, it's true for churches. It's been true since the beginning of the church. You go to where people are. That's why Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, said that he had to go to other cities. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also because that's why I have come. Jesus didn't say, let's just stay here and have all the people come to us. Let's just stay here. We've got a pretty good thing going here, guys. You know, people are coming. People are listening. You know, let's, let's just build a building and let's park right here and let's hope everyone comes to us. Jesus said, no, I had to go to other cities and villages too. I have to go to where the people are and be able to take the message and the gospel to them. That's why Paul planted churches all across Asia and didn't just plant one and expected everyone to come there. That's why missionaries came to America. That's why we send missionaries around the world. We go to where people are at. We have more than one location because two is better than one. But do you know there's something even better than two? And no, the answer is not three. I know that's what you're jumping to. That's not where I'm going this morning. There's something even better than two. There's something better than one, and there's something better than two. And the answer this morning I want to look at is found in a text in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And if you have your copy of God's Word, I'll encourage you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 8. We did a whole series on Ecclesiastes last year, covered the whole book. It's a, it's a great book of wisdom And one of the passages I want to look at this morning that relates to this, I think is very relevant to this topic this morning. It's often used in weddings, um, but it's not necessarily a wedding passage. In fact, it doesn't even mention husband and wife in here anywhere. Um, It just uh, fits very well and is often used in that context. But it really talks about two uh, being better than one. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 8 through 12 says this. There was a man all alone. He had neither son or brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. According to this passage, two are better than one. It says it very clearly there in verse 9. Two is better than one. I'm not making this up. I'm not, it, the Bible says it. Two is better than one. 
And so it's right there in verse 9. But as we read the passage, it's not just any two that's better than one. It's two together are better than one. Not just two on their own, not just two out there on their own, but two, this talks about two together being better than one. The reason we're not just outright planting a church, which is one way to do it, and certainly it's been a way the church has used throughout the past and will continue to use, is because we believe that in this case, in our context, where we are, that it makes sense that two working together, two campuses, one church, is better than just one, all of us staying here together in Burlington or two on their own separately in Burlington and Belmont. It goes along with what Jesus did with sending out the 72. In some ways, Jesus had 72 that he sent out as disciples to go and preach and to heal and to deliver from demons. He could have sent out 72 individuals and covered a lot of ground, but he didn't. He sent them out in 36 pairs. And he said, go out together. In many ways, Jesus was saying two are better than one. Go out together. You'll have companionship. You'll have strength. You'll have advantages when you go out together. So instead of 72 individuals covering more ground, Jesus felt it was more productive and effective to send out 36 pairs, cover less ground, but maybe more effectively. According to the passage in Ephesians, there are at least four reasons why two together is better than one. Let me go through them quickly for you. The first reason two is better than one is because they have a good return for their work. They have a good return for their work. Or put another way, they have a larger profit. If I was going to talk about it in business terms. Or put another way, it's very practically, they minimize expenses in some ways when you have two working together. If we're looking at what we're doing right now, going to two campuses, one church, do we need two copy machines? Probably not. Do we need two office admins? Probably not. Do we need two groups of people spending time pouring over bylaws and policies and changes? Probably not. We figured, the way we looked at it, we said, you know what? We can do all of this together as one and then put, invest everything else in back into ministry rather than duplicating expenses. In this way, we looked at it and said, you know what, two are better than one. We can have a good return for our work. It's not the only way to do it, but as we looked at it in our context, in our, and this is why we've decided uh, and we feel like God is leading us to do it the way that we have. Two are better than one. The second reason two are better than one is because if one falls, the other is there to pick them up. If one falls, the other is there to pick them up. I look at this and I say this is a matter of strengths and weaknesses and help in a time of need. Sometimes a smaller church, when it's starting out, can struggle because so much depends on so few. And what happens, what can happen is you can get off to a great start and all of a sudden one family moves Someone loses their job, something happens, and all of a sudden the church suffers in a great way, and it can be really hard to start a church for the first time to get your feet under you. And what we've said is, well, if we can do this together, we can share some of that burden. Belmont struggles, Burlington can be there to pick them up. If Burlington is in a time or a season of struggling, then Belmont can be there to pick them up. When two together can be there to pick each other up. I really think this is how the church should operate in general, across the board. It's just not how we always operate. We should see 
anyone doing kingdom work and preaching the gospel in such a way that we would help pick each other up. We just don't always see it that way, but we want to be very intentional when we are uh, operating these campuses to do that. The strengths and weaknesses. If we were to send Pastor Brian and Lori out there, now they're very gifted. They're very blessed. They, they are very equipped and trained. We sent them out there kind of on their own without support system, without, uh, they, I, you know, God is with them. The Holy Spirit's in them and God could bless that and it could work wonderfully. But in our prayer and in our time uh, looking and thinking of how we can do it, we said, would it be better if every week we come together as a staff in a larger team, we pray for each other. We share each other's burdens. We talk about, we lift each other up when someone falls. And to have a support system of, of a staff, of deacons, of elders, of a whole church supporting and loving and praying for one another so that if one falls, that there's someone there to pick them up. Strengths and weaknesses. This isn't new to the church. Paul uh, pointed this out. He pointed this out to the, he was writing to the Corinthian church. And he said this, he said, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality as it is written. He who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. First Corinthians chapter eight, verses 13 to 15. This is how Paul said, Paul said, you know what you are? You are one church in multiple locations. So you there in Corinth, God has blessed you and given you much, but the church in Jerusalem is struggling right now. They've been under persecution and there's famine and they need your help. And because you are one church in multiple locations, you should help one another out. And in many ways, what we're saying is we're going to do the same thing. And so when there's struggles or when there's difficulties, when one falls, that there's someone there to pick them up. This is how the church in general should operate. This is what our kingdom mentality should be like. And we're endeavoring to do that here at Mount Hope as well. The third reason two together are better than one is what I will call synergistic results. The sum is greater than the parts on their own. This is perhaps one of the more awkward analogies as Pastor Brian and I looked at this passage. But the verse says, if two lie down, they can keep warm together. I think Pastor Brian and I looked at each other across the conference table when we were discussing this part of the passage and said, I don't know if I want to preach that part. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's not, it was sometimes, like I said, we use this passage in weddings, but it's really not talking about husbands and wives. The, the illustration is really about companionship, and the illustration that's being used is of uh, really two travelers, Two travelers on like a cold desert night. Now you can choose to be separate from one another or you can choose to share your outer garments and the, the warmth of each other can help you survive through the evening. And somehow you put one person's warmth together with another person's warmth and where they couldn't keep the individuals warm and safe through the night, there is a synergistic exponential effect that together somehow that creates, that's able to help them survive and keep warm through the evening. And I think two are better than one because it has this, can have this synergistic results that somehow the efforts together are magnified. That when we, you know, uh, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. There's an exponential effect that takes place. 
And so working together, we believe there can be some synergistic results as well. And it's also Dwayne Garrett, a commentator, says this. He says, the usage here is metaphorical for emotional comfort against the coldness of this world. And I think that's true too. When you're working together, it can get lonely doing ministry. It can get lonely doing ministry in New England. It could get lonely being a church in New England. Have you ever felt lonely as a Christian in New England? You go to work, you go someplace, and you feel like, am I the only one? And yet, when you meet someone that shares your beliefs, when you meet someone and they say, oh, yeah, I go to church. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's something that takes place in that moment, right? There's almost like a spark that's kindled, a fervor that's kindled there that takes place in that moment. There's a, there's a mutual encouragement. Jesus said, you know, where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. There's something that happens when people and believers come together, two or three together. And so we believe that that same thing happens when we work together as churches, that there's synergistic results. It's also a kindling, I think, of a spiritual fire that comes together. Two are better than one. There's a spiritual fire that's kindled together as well. The fourth and final reason that two together is better than one is for protection. It says two can much better defend themselves. It's a strategy in battle often, uh, and it's also a strategy just in creation if you think about it. You, you ever watch the Nat Geo channel? You watch these animals that hunt other animals, and when they're hunting a pack of animals, right, what do they do? They try and get that young one or that weak one off on their own, right? They try and isolate that one animal from the herd or from the pack, and so they can take that one animal down. This says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, because I think it's the same strategy of the enemy. I think it's the same strategy of Satan that he would use. Try and isolate churches. Try and isolate individuals. Try and isolate Christians, because you're easier to take down when you're isolated. I think a church operating on its own, isolated, cut off from fellowship and community of other churches is easier to take down, easier to bring division, easier to cause heresy to creep in. You're all on your own. No one's checking you. There's no accountability. And so two together can defend themselves. You defend themselves against the attacks that might come. And we believe that two together is better than two on their own. That's better than having two isolated. The reason we're starting a campus is because we think that this is the way to grow the kingdom. It may not be the way to fill a room, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to grow the kingdom. Our goal is to see God worshipped. Our goal is to see more people come to know him, more people grow in him, more people experience the compassionate love of Jesus Christ. We believe that we're bringing together two different ways of moving into a community. The pioneering model, you know, bringing an independent church into a community has its merits, but it often leaves a new church plant very ris- in a very risky state. The campus model often lacks, especially when you use a video screen, the presence of a pastor in the community. It can work. It works. Definitely works. But it's just not the model we decided to go with. We believe that two together are better because there will be an incarnational pastoral presence in the community, a place preaching the gospel, along with the support and resources of a larger community praying and supporting each other. And so that's what we're doing, and that's why we're doing this. And that's why in this series on church, we wanted to take one Sunday 
to talk about one church in two locations. We decided to do this on this Sunday. We decided to do this in August because in August, a lot of the people that uh, if you're coming to church in August, you're coming to church because you want to be in church. I'm just, I'll be honest, don't tell that to people that aren't here today. I'm just, <laughs> just that's just between us. Cut that out on the podcast. Um, but seriously, we, we thought, you know what, we want to do a series on the church in August. It, it is a sense of preaching to the choir, but these are the people we need to hear about it. We, you know, you're, you're in church in the middle on a beautiful summer day because you know that church and being a part of the church is important. And so we wanted to take a Sunday to, uh, to emphasize why we're doing what we're doing. <clears throat> because someone might ask, why do it this way? And I want you to have an answer for it. And I want you to have a reason for why we're doing what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, and I know, you, you can be sitting here and say, look, we already agreed to it. We're already doing it, Pastor Rick. You don't have to convince us. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to be reminded. Just like recently when someone said to me, what are you going to do about all those empty chairs? Sometimes we have to be reminded. Why are we doing this? We're doing this to build the kingdom. <clears throat> and because we believe that if we have a campus in Belmont, that there'll be people that we're going to reach, families that we're going to see come to know Jesus, eternities that will be changed, that we would not otherwise have the opportunity to have influence and see change for Jesus' sake were we not there and taking uh, this opportunity that the Lord has given to us. This, however... Let me finish with this. Is not the full answer to the question, how do we grow the kingdom? The truth is that we are not one church with two locations. That is not our goal. In fact, it, the, our goal is not one church with three, four, or five locations. Our intent and our goal, ready, fasten your seatbelts, is this. One church with at least 600 locations. That's our goal. And you say, you're crazy, Pastor Rick. Go back to vacation. Uh, our intent is to be one church with at least 600 locations. You say that sounds pretty lofty. Well, look at it this way. We have 300 people that attend Mount Hope about on any given Sunday. There's more that call Mount Hope home, but on every given Sunday, there's 300 or so in this room that are worshiping at, in, the, in the building or across two campuses now. Those people are you and I. We live in neighborhoods. We go to work. We go to school. Uh, you have families that you're a part of. Every person who attends Mount Hope really has a mini church campus right where they live and work. A campus where they live in their neighborhood and a campus where they work. So you got 300 people. I would say you have 600 campuses because where you live in your neighborhood where God has placed you providentially among, among those people, that's a campus of church. Where you work, the people that God has put around you in those cubes or on the sales floor or in the lab or in the hospital or wherever you might be, that's your church campus. That's a place where God has placed you to help people to worship him, to help people come to know him, to disciple people, to show compassionate love to people. See, we are gathered for a couple hours a week here for a very short amount of time, but we are scattered for a lot longer time. And that's where the mission gets accomplished. That's where the work gets done. And that's really the goal. It's not about whether we be one campus or two campus or three campus. It's not about how many places we gather on a Sunday morning. It's are we doing the mission in the places where God has placed us the rest of the week? Are we living out the call of God on our life in every place where God has placed us? 
These are the real campuses of Mount Hope, and these are the places where much of the work gets done and much of the mission will get accomplished. So what can you do this week to grow the kingdom in the campus where God has placed you? What can you do this week to grow the kingdom in your workplace, in the neighborhood where God has placed you? What is a simple, tangible step that you can take this week to do that? Is it inviting a neighbor over for dinner? Is it in accepting an invitation they've offered to you? Is it praying for someone that you know God has asked you to pray for? Maybe it's just praying for them without them knowing, or maybe you know that God has asked you to go over and ask to pray for them personally. Have you gotten to the point in your relationship with them where you can share Jesus with them and you've been putting that off and you haven't been doing that? That is the kingdom work at the campus where God has called you. Can you show love to the, someone in one of the campuses you're at? Maybe, maybe they're going back to school and you know they can, them or their kids can need help with some school supplies or, or they just need help with something around the house. What is it that you can do to grow the kingdom of God in the campus where God has placed you and I this week. We believe that churches and communities make a difference, but it's really individual Christians living out their call of Christ in the midst of those communities that make a difference. We want Belmont to be a different place because Mount Hope Waverly Square is there. We want Burlington to be a different place because Mount Hope is here. But we want your neighborhood, your workplace, your family to be different because you follow Jesus and because you are there. We want this town to know and experience the love of Christians who are filled with compassionate love that, that loves the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves their neighbor as their self. But we want every neighborhood, every workplace to experience that through us all. We want people to know that it's possible to have victory, to live an overcoming life for God. We want them to know that as followers of Jesus, we want to disciple them to be strong, articulate, and able to communicate the faith and love God wherever God may take them and use them. Two are better than one when the two are one. Two are better than one when the two are one. Jesus is the hope for people and for the world. He came into this world and lived among us. Churches are the way that we bring that hope in an incarnational way to different communities. Christians are the way that we bring that hope to individual people. Here's what I know. I'll close with this. If we take care of his mission, God will take care of his church. And if we keep answering the question of how can we grow the kingdom, we will never have to worry about answering the question of how we can fill the building. And that's the question we need to be asking. Jesus didn't die for a particular local church or a particular denomination. Jesus laid down his life for whosoever will believe in him and to have salvation and all those who believe in his church, who believe are his church, his bride. The dream is that one day when he returns, we will meet him in heaven. And then on that day, we will be one church in one location. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your grace in our lives. Father, forgive us when anything in our lives gets ahead of your mission in our lives. 
Forgive us for any business, quote unquote, of the church or anything else we're doing gets in the way of the mission that you have called us to. Father, forgive us when we forget that it's very simple. Two great commandments. Love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what you've called us to do. I pray that we would do it well as a church with as many campuses as you give us. I pray that we would do it well as Christians who follow Christ and love you in our neighborhoods, in our families, and in our workplaces, in our schools. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We are going to have a couple songs of worship at this point. And while we're doing that, I'm going to ask the elders to come forward, those that are here. And uh, while you're worshiping, if you have something you want to pray for, this would be a great time. They'd love to pray for you. Or these altars are open. If you want to respond to this message, maybe there's someone God has put on your heart, a neighbor, a colleague at work, and you want to pray for them this morning. You want to intercede for them this morning. You want to just bring them before the Lord. You want to say, you know what? In that campus where you have placed me, God, help me to live out my calling, my mission in that place. And these altars are open. You can come and you can pray and lift that request up before the Lord. Or you might just want to come and just pray for Burlington and Belmont and the surrounding towns as we make this transition. Uh, Please, let's take a couple minutes. We'll worship and pray together.